coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, we got another uh, episode of the Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with the fucking pilot, and uh, once again, I have another victim in the can this time, no Skype. So, uh, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? Uh, my name is Eric Von Kennel, a.k.a. Captain Volcano, a.k.a. EVK, or Papa Bear, Jesus. most recently. Fucking hell, you answered all that? I answered other things, too, depending on who you are. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I've I've uh, I've worked with and met uh, uh, Captain Von Kennel. Uh, I've certainly met uh, Volcano, although only once or twice. Lucky you. Which were pretty interesting times. Uh, <laughs> Not so to be talked about. We we got all the aliases now. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it you do? Ah, uh, yeah, I'm an aviator. An aviator. Oh <laughs> fuck! I that like. That. I think I just got kind of a semi right there. That's. That turned me on a little bit. That's great. This is a you're, small bathroom. Yeah, you're an aviator. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nah, I'm a pilot. You're a pilot. Specifically now, a jump pilot. But um, yeah, I kind of worked my way up through uh, some different avenues to get to this point. Nice. And, uh, yeah, love and life. So jump pilot, uh, um, uh, I started out and kind of almost went directly into being a jump pilot, but you did not. Uh, how did your aviation career start? Well, I mean, let's go all the way back to the beginning. When did you decide you wanted to fly? Um. I guess I was influenced from a young age. I don't know that there was ever um, a specific time where I just decided this is it and this is what I'm going to do. But growing up as a kid, uh, some things I remember are (laughs) like the closing scene of uh, the intro to Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, man. So uh, Indiana Jones running through the field yelling, Jack! Start the plane. Why is there a snake? Yeah, exactly. I remember that shit. I and, remember uh, that. And running and, and jumping into that seaplane and flying off. And there was another show when I was fairly young called Tales of the Golden Monkey. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I remember that. And uh, it's a similar Indiana Jones story, but the, the lead character is uh, a seaplane pilot, and he's flying a goose, Grumman goose, all yeah. through the South yeah. Pacific. And I remember that. And then uh, growing older, just listening to Jimmy Buffett, I guess, and all that added up to uh, me taking advantage of uh, an aviation program at the University of Oklahoma. So I was there getting a college degree. Okay. Had an opportunity, got my pilot's license, and um, started moving from there. Nice. Now, so you you knew pretty young. I mean, I got my pilot's license when I was 16, but I was a I was an idiot, and I didn't really do anything with it until much, much later. Mm. Um, but you decided and then went straight to it. But you also aimed yourself towards a specific niche in flying, too. Yeah. Almost I'm, right away. Yeah. I, I think um, more or less I went straight to it. Um, took a few years, actually, after college and tried to make uh, my business degree work for me. <laughs> right. And realized really quick that... Uh, it would be a lot better to be a pilot <laughs> than <laughs> try to be a pencils. businessman. Yeah, and uh, so then I went uh, running back out to uh, flight school and did that in in Oklahoma uh, as well. And psh, man, really, really enjoyed it. Um, how'd you How'd you end up uh, deciding that you wanted to do the 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 seaplane thing though? Uh, well, I was on a long cross country flight and was in a a little FBO down in Louisiana in Shreveport and they had a magazine on the counter and it had little 
J3 Cubs on floats, so little single-engine planes on floats um, on the cover of this magazine. I picked up and read the article while they were refueling the plane, and it was for a place called Jack Brown's Seaplane Base. It's a pretty famous, pretty famous place. Absolutely. They probably train more seaplane pilots than anybody in the world. Mm. Um, but anyways, so when I saw that, all the influences that had kind of built up as a child just came rushing forward, and I was like, I got to do this. Awesome. And um, The stars aligned, so to speak. It really, it was, it was pretty awesome. And I knew immediately that's what I wanted to go do. And um, I went down there and got both my single and my multi-engine rating in the same week and asked the, uh, the owner and the boss, uh, John Brown, if I could have a job. Mm. <laughs> he was like, well, you got to finish the course first, <laughs> but <laughs> right. we'll, we'll talk after. And, and I did. And uh, he, he offered me a job. So. Awesome. So you ended up uh, um, working at Jack Brown's after having just flipped through the magazine. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's the start of the seaplane career and did some instructing there for a little while. Well, and they ha- actually, it was kind of funny because I first, uh, um, Jack Brown's, I heard about for the first time through you and through one other friend for completely different reasons. You, um, I heard about Jack Brown's because of exactly that. You had, uh, uh, you know, found this, this desire to go fly seaplanes. Um, the other pilot I found out about Jack Brown's who went there more than anything because she just wanted to slide across the seats of the airplane that uh, Johnny Depp had flown in in the Rum Diaries. <laughs> yeah, I know that plane. I've flown it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hi, CJ. <laughs> that was that was her whole motivation. Actually, that's I'm talking out of my ass, but it sounds that good. was your yeah. It was, but was she your absolutely told me that story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you, you end up flying for for Jack Browns. Yeah, actually, that was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, there's lots of different ways to get into being a pilot. We both ended up uh, at the same place as jump pilots, but came at it from kind of drastically different directions. Sure. Um, mine was more of a typical path where you go to school, you get your private, you figure out that's what you want to do, and you continue through to get your commercial license and then become an instructor. Mm. And that's immensely rewarding, I think, anybody who chooses to be an instructor, you know, um, in, in you got to teach it to truly learn it. and Yeah, once... well, I'm sure you're the same as me. When you start to teach something, you have to break down the process in a way that you wouldn't otherwise do. Right. Uh, and it becomes uh, um, not just a learning experience for the student, but even for the instructor. I mean, I've learned more teaching other people than I ever did being taught. <laughs> yeah, like how many different ways people want to kill you. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, and you had a, a bunch of cool, fun experiences flying for them. I mean, Absolutely. It... No, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> it was a really fun way to build hours doing something that um, that I was really passionate about. And fortunately, uh, teaching at Browns is a bit different than a, a typical flight instructor because getting a seaplane rating is just an add-on uh, rating to your existing license. So you're teaching a pilot. Exactly. So uh, theoretically, they already know how to fly a plane. Hmm. <laughs> I met a few that I told them to go take uh, up golf. Right, <laughs> but, right, uh, right. So for a lot of people that are coming to get this rating, it's more or less a cocktail rating. Sure. Is what I call it because they just like to go brag about it to their pilot buddies at the bar. Yeah. You know, but um, some people make a profession out of it. And that was that was my intent while I was there. But it was a lot of fun. I mean, we're 
hopping on lakes from 500 feet just all through um, Winter Haven, Florida. And uh, in in that county in Florida, there's 954 lakes. And <laughs> a few landing strips. For yeah, you. yeah, quite a few. Yeah. And and Winter Haven's known as the chain of lakes. And it's because uh, the engineers linked all of these sinkhole uh type lakes mm. by canal and so you can actually take a boat all through the town and there's oh, wow. a lot of bars and restaurants that are uh well shoreside you sure. know or, or uh dockside if you will and i actually had a um had a girlfriend while i was there and she worked at at one of these places and one of my coolest memories other than uh not trying to kill myself every day <laughs> right <laughs> with these people but uh, was actually flying her to work one day, dropping her off in the seaplane at the beach outside of her restaurant, and then coming back that night to pick her up after her shift on the Harley. So that's kind of a pimp date. <laughs> that was kind yeah. of like, I felt pretty badass that day. I guess, uh, so, see, mine wasn't like that, man. The one and only flying date that I ever had, I uh, uh, she climbed into the airplane with me at uh, the airport at Cross Keys where I was jumping, took her flying. She vomited profusely all over the inside of the cockpit uh, within 15 minutes of the flight. We ended up landing in Cape May where she laid spread eagle on the tarmac for two hours um, covered in vomit um, and wouldn't let me move her until I finally convinced her that the sun was going down. I was a very new pilot and we had to fucking go. You scared her back into the plane. Yeah, basically. I'm like, trust me, as bad as that was with the sun up, you don't want this to happen at night. We need to fucking go. Were you that bad of a pilot? No, no. She's just I, well, that bad of a passenger. I don't think I was that bad, but I mean, it was a smooth day, but yeah. No, so That's I, not the way you want it to I've go. I've not had too many flying dates. No. Uh, per se. No, I, no. That's a rare thing anyway, generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you got to but do that the, was okay. So that was kind of a highlight moment. That was kind sure. of like okay, I'm I'm pretty cool moment. And you got a low moment. I absolutely have a low moment there. And um, <laughs> just told this story recently to a friend. That's why it's kind of on my mind. But um, you know, scars are just uh, tattoos with better stories. Mm. And I'm pretty fortunate that the few good scars I've got all have pretty good stories. Nice. And uh, the one I've got here on my arm is uh, <laughs> from my lowest day at Brown's. And it was the day after my birthday. I had just turned 30 and uh, was flying this girl around on, on what we call a demo flight, just like, you know, showing off the town and enjoying a seaplane ride. And we came back to the lake to land, and I was showing off a little bit. I was, like, popping it on one float and then popping it out of the water, putting it on the other float, all keeping it straight and just high-speed taxiing across the lake. Well, it's not that big of a lake. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and these no. things don't have brakes. And uh, so I pulled the power a little late, and we just kind of went right up into the reeds next to the seaplane base. Oh, no. But not on the correct side of the seaplane base. Um, and obviously, you can't back up a, a seaplane. No. Uh, well. Well, not that one. Not not a cub, anyway. And um, I was just like, damn, I feel like such an idiot right now. So meanwhile, the, the kid, the young kid, uh, Matt, at the time, who was standing on the dock waiting to tie up the airplane it's like standing at the end of the ramp like looking around these reeds at me like what the like fuck? Have, what just the with fuck? his arms up in the air like what the <laughs> you know i'm just ashamed i realize i gotta hop in and and push the plane out of the reeds so i hop in the water and it's about chest deep i thought it was a little more shallow uh it was about chest deep 
So here I am, like, trying to push this plane out of the reeds. And I start hearing this kind of sound. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard a, a baby alligator. <laughs> no. But that's the sound they make. Okay. And this was August 10th. And I'm hearing this going, yeah, that's mom's a, somewhere. That's a nest of gators right behind me. So I'm trying now. I'm really trying to get this uh, plane pushed back, and I hear this <laughs> into the water, and I'm just like, "Oh shit!" Like I know exactly what that sound was. That was Allie, which was a six to seven foot alligator that used to sun herself on the ramps of the seaplane base, and I'm like, "These are her babies." That's a seven-foot gator. And this is how I die. <laughs> and so I just <laughs> launched myself up onto the float and um, proceeded to lose my balance. <laughs> awesome. And uh, rather than falling back out of the water or out of the uh, off the float into the water and be absolute gator bait, <laughs> I'm just going to grab anything I can. And it happened to be the engine cowling and the exhaust stack oh. comes out the side and... You got That's, a nice little that was tattoo the sizzle because I had been in the water, so I jump out and it's just awesome. And yeah, it melted my arm pretty well. Awesome. But it better better that than uh, I being attacked by a more. gator. And and the gators were t- attacking people down there. Um, there's a guy that lived, I think it was on Lake Alfred or something, but he used to get up in the morning and go swimming in his lake every day. And it's a fairly large lake. But I don't care. You don't do that. No. And. He got eaten. He got his arm ripped off by a gator. Yeah, no, no, no. So, I, of all the different ways for a pilot to yeah. go out, being eaten by a gator no, is not one you would expect. Absolutely not. Make so, a good story. But, so, but I, it was all my fault. So, so, <laughs> so highs and lows, working for Jack Browns, but it was the dream job at the time. But you ended up yeah. transitioning, and, and uh, uh, not too far down the road from there is where you and I eventually are cross, our That's paths right. crossed. Yeah. Um, I I got the heads up through another uh, seaplane guy, which I think in aviation, um, <laughs> every time you do something that's a little bit more um, niche, yeah, that's uh, probably a, a decent way to put it. Um, the community, the brotherhood, gets smaller and smaller, and it's mm. like you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and and that's how you progress Indeed. in the industry uh, sometimes. And certainly the seaplane brotherhood is a small one. Mm. And just through uh, working at Brown's, I, I made connection to a former instructor there who was flying down in the Caribbean and um, got me an interview. And I went down and and got the job and immediately transitioned from being a seaplane instructor to being a, a seaplane airline pilot. Nice. <laughs> Essentially. Well- so, um, but in what is absolutely my favorite aircraft on mm-hmm. the planet, which is the De Havilland Twin Otter. Absolutely. Um, and again, you got you and I came at it at drastically different angles because you yeah. ended up in the float plane, uh, but I ended up in it via skydiving, um, right. having gone straight into it that route, um, flying the most incredible machine. Um, yeah. One that will, I think it's always going to be my favorite plane, but it's also very well suited for both of those. So you started flying in the seaplane yeah. uh, um, and did quite a lot of flying that way. Yeah. So we're talking about um, the de Havilland Twin Otter and it's it's a major bush plane. Yes. And, um, and in Canada, they use it 
extensively. Um, the single otter, but the twin otter as well. And it's just an awesome, awesome plane to fly. Yes, it is. And especially on floats. Um, yeah, that was... So so that was my introduction to the Twin Otter, was going to fly in the Caribbean for a small airline called uh, Seabourn. And it's a 121 airline, so they operate under the same rules as like all the other airlines out there, uh, even though they're a very small, uh, at the time, uh, family-owned almost business. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, we, we jokingly would say that it's not a 121 airline, it's a 151 airline. Yeah, and I'll cheers to that for because, sure. 151 to yeah. Seaborn. All right, there cheers. we go. Uh, <laughs> that was the that was the funny part for me is I decided that it was time to uh, um, say that I had officially scratched the itch and, and tried at least to make an attempt at mainstream aviation because you know if you're a pilot <laughs> mainstream right yeah <laughs> anybody who knows Seaborn knows uh, that's knows, not true yeah. no but I didn't know that it was the same way absolutely I ended no up... I'm I'm with you man for me it was an airline job oh yeah man. same same way I ended up roped into Skydive Cross Keys because it was the busiest in the world and it was the responsible choice mm. until I'm <laughs> off my ass in the pee pit going how the fuck is this the responsible right. choice same thing really. <laughs> um, and uh, I should have known because my in to Seaborn was a captain you know well who was a previous jump pilot by the name of Chris Hackler. Yeah, Hackler. Uh, fucking fantastic pilot. And I figured, all right, if he went this direction <laughs> and he flew, you know, did the same kind of flying as me, maybe I've got a shot. Uh, and, uh, of course, I ended up getting down there and finding out, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of an airline. Yeah. I mean, we It's have to- more of an airline than a guy not... I I don't know how you would describe it. Look, I, I had good experiences down there as well. I'm sure. not going to knock them no. too much. Um, but it was a great place to be and a great place to fly. I mean, and oh yeah, and their training was awesome. The like, training I was really, fantastic. I really give them credit to, uh, to teaching me how to fly this particular plane. Um, well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I, I called uh, the pilot that took my old job back in the States shortly after I'd finished the training with Seaborn and went, you know nothing, you're going to fucking die in that plane. <laughs> yeah. uh, the fact that I'm not dead is just a testament to the fact that there really is luck out there because <laughs> I knew nothing. Or something else. But, yeah. No, I mean, um, you were definitely cut loose with the otter. Oh, 25 v- hours. Very early on and... and uh... <laughs> <laughs> and for those, uh, for anybody listening that doesn't fly, I was flying a twelve thousand five hundred pound uh, t- with jumpers, twenty to twenty two capacity aircraft with twenty five hours training. That is akin to handing someone that just <laughs> learned how to ride a bicycle with training wheels a fucking Ferrari. Yeah. It's about the same. You got the the ink still wet on your commercial license, oh, and you're yeah. you're up there. Oh yeah, flying a so, twin turboprop. When I finally got the training in Seaborn, <laughs> it was a real smack in the face to realize I knew nothing about the aircraft that I right. was flying. And although I could fly it very well, <laughs> it was the troubleshooting and the the dealing with potential problems that right. had had anything really serious, uh, you know, come up, I wouldn't have been able to to yeah, deal with it intelligently. Yeah, you would have dealt with it fine, but. Um... <laughs> Everybody, Fuck it. Fuck everybody it. wears a rig in a in a jump plane, right? Yeah. You would have been fine. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. We came at it from different directions. I came at it from the seaplane side into the airline and then ultimately leading to where I am now as a jump pilot. You came at it from a jump pilot 
uh, or from a skydiver rather, excuse me, sure. to a jump pilot, to an airline pilot, and then back to a jump pilot. <laughs> sure. Well, now let me ask you, because you were going the more traditional route, and yeah. I'd always been on the lunatic fringe, no pun intended. Um <laughs> T- totally intended. Um, so I'd always been kind of doing things a, a different way, but you had done things very much the traditional way and decided to step up to the airline version of your dream. Was it a bit of a, a gut check when you realized, oh, this is a 151 airline? I, I Don't get me wrong. I, I no. enjoyed my time at Seaborn, but Seaborn, it's different now than it was then. It was much more cowboy. Yeah, I, I felt like... Uh, I got to the party a little bit late on that one. I definitely um, did. Yeah, you. Yeah, because you got there after I did. Um, and I felt like this before in my career, but uh, or I should say since. <laughs> hmm. But um, yeah, it's like it was very cowboy and very wide open. But then, as things changed within the industry, they tried to grow, and hmm. uh, the, there's probably a debate on which direction they grew in first and how things got handled and what it ultimately changed for the airline. But it meant that the FAA started looking a lot more. Yes, they did. And, you know, that's a good thing, but it made things a lot less uh, cowboy, I think is what you said. um, You know, we were flying around 500 feet over the water down there and doing kind of whatever we needed to do to get from St. Croix to St. Thomas, you know, to San Juan. We were flying into the British Virgin Islands as well, Virgin Gorda, Tortola. Um, and I think their routes have expanded even further since our time there. But um, Well, we were the only, if I'm not mistaken, we were the only 121 airline, at least in the United States, but I think in the world that was filing VFR flight plans. Yeah, VFR flight plans and flying float planes. I mean, being the only 121 airline, you know, flying floats sure. down there, which... It's awesome. Sure. I'm well, and for say. those that don't it's know, VFR beautiful. means VFR means visual flight rules, which means that uh, um, you have to be able to see where you're going. And all other airlines fly what's called IFR instrument. Even if you can see where you're going, you're still flying basically uh, on a highway in the sky. Uh, and uh, when you're flying VFR, you can go pretty much wherever the fuck you want. <laughs> but the weird thing about that is, we would file these VFR flight plans. And then fly straight through clouds and <laughs> straight through rain, and I'll never forget. And because and, uh, we were picking up pop ups, yeah, pop up IFRs. That's it. You bet. Oh, I remember when we got one of those pop ups. Mm-hmm. Um, flying in the right seat, and again, I had a couple thousand hours in the left seat by then, so I'm sitting in the right seat. But I've got an extremely accomplished Caribbean captain sitting next to me. He's been flying there forever, and he's got his foot up on the panel. <laughs> And he's kind of, and you know who I'm talking about. Now I do. And he's he's got a, a he's doing a little bit of paperwork here and there, and he hasn't looked outside the window since we started flying. And I am covered in sweat, shitting myself as he's casually telling me, "Just aim for the light green on the radar." As we're flying back to St. Croix, I've not been in weather like this ever, mm. ever. I mean, I have an instrument rating, obviously, but uh, uh, very, very little actual time, and yeah. I am shitting my pants. And I think I was maybe three weeks out of IOE, which is on-the-job training, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
but I mean, there were a lot of experiences like that. In, Absolutely. In Seaborn, and a lot of ones that you just can't even. I mean, I know you've had some bizarre but experiences that's, that's, with the airline. Those are good experiences, though. You grew from that, and it's oh, awesome. But I know exactly what you mean, where you're just like, hmm. Oh yeah. So this is what IFR really is like, and uh, well, it's, and it's not it's even a good being, thing. I trust my instruments. Yeah. Well, and it's not. It's not even being thrown into the deep end. It's being thrown into a different fucking pool. Yeah, <laughs> you're not even in the same pool that you thought you were going to be in. Now, outside of all that stuff, I mean, uh, for the most part, the Seaborn had the, well, not for the most part, they had an amazing save, safety record. They did everything yeah. fantastic. Yeah. The training was great. Uh, obviously, we got creative with some of the stuff, but <laughs> some of the shit that happened in that airline can't happen. I mean, maybe it does happen in other airlines, but stuff that I never would have thought. And I know you've had some bizarre experiences. Some of them have been with me as your as your uh, first officer <laughs> yeah with passenger well, you mean with respect with pa- to passengers yeah, yeah yeah it's uh it's an interesting part of the world and uh, the characters you get on board are equally interesting and um yeah you're going between puerto rico and the u.s virgin islands and people are traveling for <laughs> lots of different reasons i mean we were transporting prisoners between st croix and st thomas because st croix is where the prison is but st thomas is where the courts are so right. when criminals have to travel up to court they would get on our planes on and our they planes. would be fully shackled sometimes two and three of them on board with armed police officers so mm. that you know when those people rock up to your plane it's like well this might be an interesting flight yep you know it certainly just got more interesting for all the passengers that were sitting here waiting to board before they knew this guy or right. guys were getting on the plane you know and they've got to board first so they can get the prisoners secure, but then here you go popping on a a twin otter, you know, with fifteen seats on the seaplane or you know oh, yeah. twenty on the the wheel plane, and now you're sitting right in front of you know, right. this this crew. I mean that I don't know. But, well, and especially when you'd have uh, the either just the flight before or the flight after, you've got a full blown hardcore Rasta guy that's clearly holding right, like the flight before. Yeah, the like flight you guys before. walked past all these armed officers and you're like, how do they not smell you? Yeah, you're literally transporting <laughs> large amounts of yeah. marijuana. Well, it makes you ask the question, like, am I knowingly smug, like you know, trafficking drugs right sure. now? Because you get that smell and you just kind of know. But what do you do? You say it's it's definitely you, and I'm gonna, I have the authority to deplane everybody and start this. I mean, so caref- careful you going down that route. Well, and we'll touch briefly on the only real experience I had with that, and it just happened to be with you. And I don't remember why <laughs> it ended up coming to a head the way that it did. Oh, but it did, didn't it? But uh, but we ended up. I mean, there was quite the hullabaloo with cops everywhere, and it was clearly over weed, but. Most of the time, you'd turn a blind eye because you'd tell yourself, well, A, you can't prove who's got it. Right. B, I, sh- I, th- I personally think this <laughs> shit should be legal anyway. Um, all these different reasons. But why was it that one guy, why did we have to th- have him thrown off the plane? <laughs> I forget what he did. I, I, it wasn't even just that one guy, though, man. <laughs> like I remember multiple times people were just doing ridiculous stuff, like trying to climb out the cockpit door after I shut the plane down, yeah. before I could get the air stairs up, this is at the airport, not at the uh, seaplane base this day, and he he says he has to pee so bad that he's trying to climb through the cockpit yep. to get out of the plane, to run across the ramp of an airport. Like I'm like, what are you doing, man? Yep. Um, but oh. will you get? I've had that on the seaplane too. Sure. It's a, okay, look, it's 15 to 20 minutes, depending, between St. Croix and St. Thomas, and both of these stories 
for me, at this guy climbing through the cockpit and this guy walking to the back of the airplane to relieve himself, each happened between St. Croix and St. Thomas. Yep. And it was on the seaplane that I turned around after landing in St. Thomas, turning around uh, after successfully docking the plane and welcoming everyone to St. Thomas. And I see this dude in the back of the plane and he's pulling down his sweatpants in the back corner. And I'm like, sir, what are you doing? And he like turns around and he's got his hand down his pants. Like he was literally about to pull it out and pee in the back of my plane. And we are at the dock on the other side. Isn't like my awesome? God, man. Now the, the funny he thing almost is got, he, he almost got beat up by one of our dock workers. And, uh, well, the f- that guy worked for the Port Authority also right next door. And when I yelled out the window what was going on, the door of the plane flung open and this guy got yanked off the plane and yelled at. And he almost got thrown in the water. I'm oh, sure. I don't doubt it. Although the 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 Trump to that story is, uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a captain that we talked about previously, briefly, CJ, mm. uh, was on short final into or actually turning final over Frederickstead, flying into uh, St. Croix in the airport. And uh, if you've never been there, the distance is it's less than five minutes uh, from the time that you cross over the island to the time that you're landing. And a woman in the back of the airplane is there announcing that they're getting ready to land has uh, um, told the crew. Now, mind you, there's no cockpit door in between the the cabin and the cockpit of Twin Otter. (laughs) Which is cool because you can look back and see the fear in your passenger's eyes. Oh, yeah. You know, there's no flight (laughs) attendants either. So um, this passenger is yelling up to the crew that she's got to go to the bathroom. And they've told her multiple times that multiple times that uh, um she's got a she's got a pee and they say multiple times we're almost there yeah, we're almost there almost we're almost there but on short final mm. literally on short final less than 2 minutes from touchdown this woman stands up gets out of her seat stands up squats down next to her seat now mind you which way is the plane aiming when you're landing mm. uh squats down and relieves herself on the floor of the twin otter on short final into St. Croix yeah. with a, just a river of piss running up to the cockpit where oh, man, the so two, pissed. yeah, where the two, so <laughs> the two pilots can't do anything but land the plane right. as the piss is puddling in the ship's library. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Welcome to the airlines. Are you kidding? <laughs> right. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> no, just bizarre stuff went on down there for sure. But there was, I mean, we're. Somehow we got on a tangent about how people can't hold, like have small bladders in the islands or whatever. Because it's fucking but, funny. Well, <laughs> but, and and it's because they drink too much. Yeah, well, you know, and that, that shit happens for sure. I'm glad I quit. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> so we had funny experiences, we had bizarre experiences, and we had good experiences. We had really, really good experiences, but we also had one experience that ultimately led me to scout you out <laughs> to become a chump a jump pilot a jump pilot <laughs> a jump pilot yeah been Be- there before. a chump yeah uh, because i knew you'd make a good jump pilot specifically because of this instance you had um a, a, a fucking scary experience on a float plane um uh, and again this on is any plane but yeah i happened to be on the float plane that day and yeah. this is this is seaborne airlines you are flying paying customers from st thomas back to st croix and it was not good yeah, no, I, I mean, it turned out in the end to be great, but mm. 
Yeah, just a typical seaplane flight, uh, St. Croix to St. Um, St. Thomas to St. Croix, excuse me. And um, it was about midway through our day, so we had already been, you know, flying quite a bit. Um, and you know, taking off out of St. Thomas, you've got a, a relatively limited options as far as the uh, the harbor goes, and behind you, you've got the seawall. To the left of you, you've got the mooring field with all the boats, typically sailboats with, you know, 30 to 50 foot masts. Um, to your right hand side is what's called Hassel Island, which is a small island there. Mm. And uh, right in front of you is a cruise ship dock. So you can't really go left too far. You can't go right. And the cruise ship dock is there. And this day it had two cruise ships. And so you can't just <laughs> barge straight forward. You got to back up right to the edge of the seawall. Right. And um, kind of give her all she's got. And that's what we did. We had a left to right crosswind that day. So the water was a little bit choppy and made the takeoff. I wouldn't say challenging, but it wasn't just a straight, you know, sure. push the power and go. Yeah, you're working for it. Yeah, there's a little work to do. So, um, yeah, we were, we run through all the pre-takeoff checks and my first officer and I pushed the power up and normal takeoff. You know, we, we, we get airborne. We stay just above the water, skimming the water to uh, reduce drag, right. pick up some airspeed. Sure. Um, and then we pitch up to climb. And at this point, we need to turn to the right uh, because of the cruise ship that's <laughs> closing in. Don't hit and, the big And boat. the mountain behind it. So, you know, you turn right, you turn south to get out of the harbor in St. Thomas. And we, uh, I was the one flying that leg, attempted to do that. And so going from... Uh, a left to right crosswind, you've got the wheel essentially of the airplane mm. turned all the way left, 90 sure. degrees left to hold that wing down. But if you want to turn right, you're going to roll the controls the other way and sure. you're going to turn the wheel to the right. And I did that and I went all the way to the right and the plane kept flying straight ahead and didn't do anything. <laughs> so so, you'd so the left the- wing is low, flying straight at a cruise ship and a mountain and I can't turn to the right. <laughs> <laughs> So and, you turn uh, the control, and you can't turn left because that's where St. Thomas is. It gets even taller to the left. And so, uh, just a couple of points: uh, if you've never been to St. Thomas, the the they're not hills; they're fucking mountains. Um, they are really tall. They go up a couple thousand feet. So it's not like you can just hop up over them. Yeah, they're not a couple thousand, but they're. I mean, well, the, the tallest peaks are up a couple thousand, isn't it? I don't think so. They're fucking big. They are they're, big. They're maybe they're, big they're, in a, they're they're bigger than the biggest cruise ship stood on its tail. So, but whatever. Yeah. So those are big as well, but uh, <laughs> definitely a, a big damn deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're we're flying right towards the mountain at this point. You know, we've climbed enough to clear the cruise ship, but the plane's not turned to the right. So you know, full right controls. I uh, push down on the right rudder pedal as hard as I can. Um, that that turns the nose a little bit, and then use some aileron trim that helped, and then my my um, co-pilot and I did uh, a little bit of asymmetric thrust, which means we just pulled the power back on the right engine and we left the left engine full power. And that turned the nose of the airplane a little bit more, brought the left wing up a little bit more. And now that crosswind was able to get under the wing. So now you're not going to hit the big boat. Exactly. Not going to hit the boat, not going to hit the mountain. It, it lets the airplane turn um, out of harm's way. But And we're still climbing, but... Something is definitely wrong here, you know, and this isn't 
something in the books that you're trained for. So you're just running through in your head, like, okay, what's going on here? I have to problem solve. Um, now I knew what the airplane wasn't doing. It wasn't turning to the right, but I needed to see how quickly it wanted to go to the left. So mm. very slowly, I kind of started turning the wheel back to the left and immediately the wing tried to dip and w I was able to correct it. Um, but it was, that's all it took for me to know. Okay. There's no, left. absolutely no way we're going that way. If we do, we're going to roll inverted and we're all going to go into the water head first. And so, well, it, well, now what's going on in the back of the plane at this point? Are people screaming? <laughs> no, no, because I mean, it was under control. It was, it was very smooth. It was a normal takeoff. We just didn't turn right as early as probably everyone expected. Sure. And, um, you know, so we, we turn out to the right eventually and we continue the climb and, uh, Ryan, uh, my co-pilot and I knew immediately that, you know, this, we're, we're declaring an emergency here. We got some major flight control issues. We don't know what, but we need to report this and we're coming back to St. Thomas to land. Well, and that's a hard thing to do to get yourself to key the microphone and declare an emergency. I mean, pilots there was, like yeah, I mean, <laughs> but when you need to, you just you know, yeah, and you're yeah. going to, unless you're an idiot. And this was one of those situations where we had 11 souls on board and <laughs> that was the only option. Sure. And uh, that being said, we didn't even know how good the option was because now we have to come back and somehow land this plane that is totally cross-controlled, flying. Just <laughs> yeah, know. you're 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 having to basically fly it in a way you never would have thought. Uh, yeah. Mean, meanwhile, you got eleven people in the back that are are putting on life jackets because you're got to land this thing back in water. Yeah. So that was interesting. Just just declaring the emergency and having my FO turn around and and tell everybody put their life jackets on. We <laughs> there was a a gal on the plane that was friends with one of our other pilots, and when apparently when we asked her to put her life vest on is when she started paying attention <laughs> to what was going on on the flight. <laughs> and she, when she looked up in the cockpit and saw that my right leg was shaking, she knew something was up. Sure. Well, and it was shaking because I had it pressed so hard. The right rudder pedal pressed so hard. If I could have pushed it through the firewall, I would have. Mm. And uh, it just the adrenaline of the moment. You well, know? And, the, and these are some ballsy flyers because they're having to take uh, the seaborne planes to and from St. Thomas and St. Croix every day uh so these are people that uh, log more hours than some pilots yeah. down there so th th you fly through shit weather and crazy turbulence and all that they don't even wake up so for her to finally start paying attention yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's a big deal so you've at least got it under control and now you know what you've got to do you declare an emergency so how does it all wrap up well um yeah we were able to to maintain altitude and, and just bring it around in basically a big, wide right-hand circle and um, talk to St. Thomas Tower, which their airport is literally right there next to the mouth of uh, the harbor that we live in, or, or land in, excuse me. And so we were talking with them, and they scrambled Coast Guard and Port Authority and you know put the emergency call out. Mm. And we just brought the airplane around and attempted to land in a in a different channel in a different bay um now let me ask you from uh from a non seaplane or non-aviator point of view why didn't you just land straight ahead why there's a whole lot of water you're in an ocean <laughs> why the, why wouldn't you just there's a bunch of blue right in front that's of you that's fair yeah we're in a seaplane yeah you're over just the sea land the water, just right? land just yeah. land um 
yeah, it's a bit more complicated than that. As soon as you leave the harbor, I mean, it was it was a little bit choppy in the harbor, but even with a the mighty otter, uh, you try to land that thing in a swell uh, out into open water, and <laughs> at at that point, also it would have been at least a crosswind, if not a downwind landing, and against the sw- like. There's just so you're, many things. You're, you're it's a, it's a bad idea. You're yeah. all going to die. <laughs> yeah. So you, you you aim it back in and, and you, yeah. you manage to get back into this. Uh, to yeah. So we, we got it all figured out as best we could. We were able to slow the plane down and even, you know, put flaps in, which helps a, an airplane fly uh, more stable at a slower airspeed. And it's what you got to do with a seaplane. But unfortunately, because we were so cross-controlled and there was so much differential power mm. that basically the nose was about 30 to 45 degrees to the right of straight ahead. So you're looking out the side window flying exactly. straight. Yeah. So you touch down on that first float, you're going to cartwheel. Mm. You, If I were able to stab the left rudder to get it straight, the left wing would have dipped it, and it probably would have hit the water and you're going to cartwheel. Mm. You know, there's so many different ways that this isn't going to work out. Sure. And we got it down over the water just with the hopes of, okay, this is the best shot we've got. It's the only shot we've got because there is no go around, you know? Mm. Um, and we were just hoping, sure, you know, kind of at that point, because it was all we had um, to, to make the best landing we could. And <laughs> Ryan looks over at me right as we're skimming the top of the water. And he's like, we're really fast. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, we're, we're fast. And I was like, I know. And that was the last thing we said to each other. And we got really lucky is all I can say, because this channel that we were landing into is another mooring field to the right with sailboats. And there was another cruise ship in Crown Bay this day to the left. And we just got this puff, this this angel's breath that just lifted the left wing only. If it was a gust, it would have lifted the whole plane. Mm. If, and it was just this little angel's breath on the left wing, and it raised it up high enough that I was like, that's it. I yanked the power. I stabbed the rudder to straighten the plane, and we hit the water. And I got to say, I've made worse landings with two good <laughs> engines and a fully controlled airplane right, right. than I did on that one. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I looked over at, at uh, Ryan, and we gave each other a fist bump. And right then, like Port Authority and the the Coast Guard comes ripping through the cut in their boats, and we were like, "Oh man, they're they, like they're they probably... were right there, but they weren't right in the way." They were like, "We'll just hang back and see what happens, right, and right, then yeah. we'll come rushing in." You yeah. know, <laughs> they're, they're probably a little bit bummed. Oh, yeah, that right? was normal. But that now, it, normal. so it, what did it, turn it worked out? To out. Well, um, <laughs> it, the, basically, in saltwater conditions with a metal airplane you're going to fight corrosion yeah. and we flew, we flew those planes hard and, um, the mechanics there typically did a great job, but this was actually a pulley within the wing. That is the, uh, the aileron pulley. So it, it basically the cable that controlled the aileron just yeah, decided corrosion, not, it wasn't going to work it, anymore. It sheared, the pulley broke, um, the, the bearing in the pulley broke and it basically fell off. So you had no left aileron, which- none. Yeah, we figured we we found that out after the fact, and then I did a little bit of research to find out how many other planes successfully land if something like that happens, and I didn't. There weren't any. Find any? There weren't any. So uh, unless it was something that was immediate, and they actually, I'm sure there's some out there where they were able to put it down immediately, but 
for us, we were already cruising sure. and there was no way to abort straight ahead oh, because wow. of the cruise ship. And it, we were committed fully from as soon as we were airborne. And no way to train for something like that. I mean, both yeah. you and I have spent a fair amount of time in the in the sim for the Twin Otter and, and there is no, hey, this is what happens when uh, your wing isn't controllable. <laughs> It's not, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Now, it was that incident that ultimately led me to uh, suggest you in regard to um, the, the job of jump pilot. Mm, um, yeah. I had decided to walk away from flying the whole airline gig. Uh, for me, as a first officer coming in, when I did, uh, the airline was short first officers and, and rich on captains. Yeah. And so the first officers were getting beat all this shit. And just as I was being offered uh, the upgrade to captain, when I'd finally made the upgrade to captain, um, they were first officer rich and captain poor. <laughs> um, so I decided, fuck this. This is just not me. You know, I'm not making enough money. I'm flying it's overall. It's not for everybody. It's well, really not. It's a different kind of. Uh, it's a different kind of flying, and 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 we make you know jokes about the experience we had in the islands because. It was an airline, but it wasn't operated like no, well, a real it, airline uh, it, in, in some respects because it just wasn't. It's, no. it's it's a different environment altogether, and it was also an airline on an uh, that was based out of an island where a, a, a bottle of rum is cheaper than a bottle yes. of milk. <laughs> yes, hence the joke, the one fifty one airline. Yeah, so I, I mean, yeah. You'd, seriously, you do I want milk in the morning or should I just drink more blackstrap? <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> It really was. Yeah, well, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of people, it was. There's a a shirt down there that I never bought that I I saw one time, and I wish I had it because it just encompasses it so well. And it says, "We're all here because we're not all there." <laughs> that's pretty much it. And that's yeah. the islands, man. You're either down there chasing something or running from something. Or running from something, and, yeah. And uh, you know, certainly, I was chasing that, chasing my dream of you know maybe entertaining airline, but flying seaplanes and you know living that romantic life in the caribbean and sure. and wanting to sail and and i did i did i got to do that i got to sail while i was down there i got to learn how to scuba dive and living in the islands was fantastic and i you know a lot of good things came from that place and that I met my wife down there. Sure, which is fantastic. You know? But well, actually, it's kind of funny because you, at your time, at the time, uh, not even your fiance, she was your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. When you got an email from me going, right. so because by then, I think almost two years had passed, uh, or close. It was to. about a year and a half, I think, since you left. Yeah, and uh, I had gone back to flying jumpers and found a fantastic gig, and and we were looking for another pilot, and I didn't think of anybody else specifically because, well, not only of the multiple conversations that we'd had while flying, uh, and I knew that you had expressed a big interest in the way I got to fly these planes. Sure, yeah, we got to talk about that extensively while we flew together. Absolutely, but uh, also because of that experience with you losing the aileron, I'm like, well, fuck, I can't imagine uh, somebody I would rather have as as a jumper, uh, yeah. you know, sitting in the cockpit. And so this job offer comes up and, and I sent you a message going, so you are you sick of that shit yet? <laughs> and uh, I, I know you had to do a fair amount of soul searching and then a pretty well, goddamn uh, um, uh, fast forward on your agenda. Well, I mean, you met me at a really interesting transition time. Um, you say, yeah I, yeah, I just met my girlfriend uh, at the time, now my wife, and it wasn't long since I was, you know, buzzing her boat in the harbor before I was thinking about leaving that whole life behind. And, sure. You know, she was a boat captain and, and taking 
people out on snorkel tours out to Buck Island, which is a national preserve. It's a protected coral reef. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it just so happened that a lot of days I flew the seaplane and her, she was taking her boat out and going to the island with her passengers right about the time I was taking off. Oops. So. Never happened. What's, I don't know what you're talking about. What's That's... a what's a boyfriend with a seaplane to do but buzz <laughs> her boat every single time? Filled with passengers <laughs> in an airline. Hey, she told me that her tips were better on the days that I did it. So it was mutually beneficial. Well, there you go. There you go. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't long from doing that to knowing that she's the one and you offering uh, a new opportunity and she and I jumped for it. So Ooh. now we're married and we've got a two lo- two lovely boys and a third on the way. Cuz you're a fucking maniac. <laughs> you're yeah. Uh, There's three is there going to be three under 3 within 6 months now. Boy, so. three under 3 and every one of them's got a penis. Three boys. Yeah. Fucking hell. I mean, I know you're happy about that, but she... I, I hope it's easier. I don't know. Uh, I think I need to get an account at the emergency room, though. Man, oh, of course. Oh, yeah. eventually you will, absolutely, because if they <laughs> if they take you after dad or mom, I mean, mom jumped too. So uh, Absolutely. Mom's a skydiver. I'm a skydiver. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. So uh, I'd rope you into this world, but it was funny because you, were, you resisted a bit at first, uh, mm-hmm. and you were a bit trepidatious going into the job. Uh, and you wow. were the first person ever to quote me back to myself, <laughs> and it's embarrassing because I didn't even know you were quoting me. But it uh, made you were like, man, whoever said that, they must be really smart. I did, I know. <laughs> which of course, yeah. But it was fucking hilarious because uh, I had written an article about uh, jump pilots and uh, versus airline pilots, and I tried to give as much credit as I could to the airline guys because it's a type of flying that I, I tried and sucked at, and or not sucked at, but it just wasn't my thing. But it's right, a, I mean, it's yeah. a it's a whole different kind of thing, you know. And and uh, um, but. I have, as a jump pilot and as someone who has trained multiple jump pilots, come to a very solid conclusion, and that is that training an airline pilot to become a jump pilot is next to fucking impossible. And I believe the line that you quoted me was, uh, I said something along the lines of, I would rather take a skydiver that's never flown a plane and turn them into a jump pilot than take a pilot that's never jumped out of an airplane and try and teach them how to become a jump pilot. That's exactly what you said. Yeah, and you quoted that back to me. I didn't even know my own fucking writing. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. I mean, I I understand why you didn't stay in the islands because despite how fun that was in some respects and adventurous um (laughs) it changed like the time from flying around and going oh there's a whale and actually doing whale spotting and just deciding we're going to circle this whale for 10 minutes and then we'll continue your flight back to the island you know and just like you're lucky people enjoy this this is what we're doing like (laughs) all that was gone when i got there yeah exactly because the faa showed up and then it became less fun and then a lot of the cool people left uh you know, no offense yeah. to the people that were still there when I left, oh, but you know, some... it was like late to the party is what I was saying earlier. Like I felt like I got there. Some of the cool people were already kind of leaving the party. Then the cops showed up and busted up the party. And now people are either losing their jobs or throwing up, you in know, the getting, 
you know, getting in trouble for this and that. And it was like, yeah, okay, this, this yeah. party's over. Well, so it was time to go. I'll tell you what, though. I was lucky enough to get there at a time when I still got to meet the characters that made it as cool as it was, yeah. even though it wasn't still that cool. Chris Hackler I knew from before, who was a badass. Jeff Newton, also known as Newt. <laughs> Previous <laughs> jump pilot, officially the most badass motherfucker I've ever met. He got a 10,000-hour Twin Otter badge <laughs> and nailed it to the wall in the popular bar in St. Croix. <laughs> Who the fuck does that? How do you get 10,000 hours in one kind of plane and go, yeah, it's kind of cool, and slam it into a wall? Because he was that much of a badass. Um, uh, Cliff Irving. I mean, Cliffy, come on. Clifford, yeah. uh, Yeah, Irving Clifford. I mean, these guys, you're talking about just the most amazing crew of guys, salty motherfuckers that have been doing it for, I'll never forget, Cliff was the guy that had his foot up on the panel fucking scratching his knee at the time and and letting me just sink or swim through this big patch of fucking green at night yeah. in a storm over the Caribbean. That could be his style though. He was a you badass know, he, though. He, yeah. Well and and the, and and asking me what it was like to be a stripper in Vegas. While I'm sweating fucking buckets, my balls have retracted completely inside my body and I'm more, you know, closely uh, res- I'm more like a hermaphrodite at this point. <laughs> That's too much. Yeah, no, it's just seriously. But <laughs> and he's you, asking, so was it cool being a stripper in Vegas? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? There's <laughs> try to focus. <laughs> fucking focusing. There's a lot more water than island out there, and I don't know where that fucking island is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, man. Flying down there in the dark at yeah, night man. between the islands oh, when yeah, there's no light. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely you better trust nothing. your instruments. Absolutely. Well, or even the clear nights when the the water was calm and the sky was crystal clear and you'd see the reflections of the stars in the water and you still had no horizon because <laughs> the water had fucking stars in it. Right. Fuck me. Scary shit. So, yeah, for all those reasons, I'm, well, I'm really glad I got there when I did, and I'm really glad I left when I did it. And I'm also really glad that I kind of pulled you out of that because you have excelled in yeah. throwing people out of planes. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. No, I'm, I just want to touch back on what you said a moment ago about it being a totally different way to, to fly the airplane. And, you know, you flew it single pilot, and you flew it two to its limits. Sure. You know, um, that's the game in skydiving, right? You, we're, we're flying these planes max as performance. Hi- highly efficiently as we can, which means max performance all the time. And you go from that environment where you're really yanking and banking the airplane and getting it up and getting it down, and you go to an airline where now you're sitting right seat for somebody else flying a plane that you know you can fly perfectly well by yourself at limits way beyond we're flying it mm. all by yourself. How boring is that? You yeah, know, but it, me, I came at it the other way, whereas I was working my way up through the airline and sure. then I got to go fly it to its limits. Oh, and that's why I was so excited when you started doing that. Oh, flying. man. Dude, I was chomping. I know you were. I was more I, excited than you were. I'm like, I know. Oh. I could tell. And I was like, I hope I don't suck at this. No. That's what I was thinking. Like, I, I better not be bad at this. So. No, and I knew you were going to be fantastic at it. What I didn't realize is that you weren't just going to be a hell of a jump pilot, but that you were also going to take to the sport. Oh, man. Awesome. How could you not? Like, I, you know, my dad is probably one of my biggest influencers in life, and um, he was really cool about not influencing me before I made my decisions. Mm. Um. He was a pilot. I didn't know that until I became a pilot. He used to ride motorcycles. I didn't know that until I bought my own first motorcycle. Mm. Like they refused growing up to even buy me a dirt bike. Sure. But when I got old enough, I was like, I'm buying a bike and I'm buying a Harley. Sure. And I did, and it's awesome. I still own it. Uh never gonna sell her. Anyways, um 
you know, I didn't know that about him until I did it first. Sure. And uh, what I one thing I did know about him though is that he was a paratrooper. He's career military, career army, um, and he was battalion commander for 82nd Airborne. Wow. And wow. Yeah. So he's an airborne, you know, ranger. No joke. Um, badass. And we never got to jump together. Hmm. You know, we never. I mean, he's he's still around. Um, but I think the time may be passed for us to actually get to jump together at this point. I hope he doesn't feel that way and surprises me next no, time. No, fuck talk. it, man. Come out here. But um, make a jump with your son. Yeah. Come on. Let's go play. You can do it. I'll jump. You can do it. We'll go. Yeah. Somebody will fly a plane. But anyway, so my dad was a skydiver and he was a sports skydiver as well when he was young. And he, he actually told me this wild story one time. He's probably college age, whatever. This is when he was going to West Point. And uh, man, this was early 70s. Like, well, he graduated in 69. So this is late 60s that mm. he's doing this. So wherever the sport was in the late 60s, Fucking my, dangerous. my dad was doing that. Okay. Yeah. He and three like of his buddies. <laughs> he and three of his buddies took their skydive gear, so their their helmets, which I think were probably just those goofy frap hats, but is <laughs> their helmets, their goggles, their alties, and and whatnot, and they went to the local um, amusement park, not like circus, but I'm talking like Six Flags or whatever the regional one there is in in uh, New York. Mm. And proceeded to tell the the young kids working that they were from Roller Coaster Magazine and they were there with these scientific <clears throat> instruments and they needed to ride this brand new coaster which had just come out from the front car, then followed immediately by the middle car and then from the last car. And then if they needed to, they might need to switch up seats again just to make sure that they can evaluate this ride properly. Awesome. I like your dad. And they did. <laughs> awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Fucking so, Anyways, nice. um, a little bit of so bullshit big goes in, a long big way. influence there on on wanting to try skydiving. And um, well, I was lucky enough that after all this and, and the hours of conversations that we had in the cockpit, flying to and from the islands and in between all this shit, talking about skydiving and all that, that I ended up <laughs> flying your very first jump and taking fucking pictures of you on my iPhone instead of <laughs> fuck flying the plane. Right. I need to take pictures of Eric because he's about to jump out of this plane, and I've got you in the back getting ready to make your first AFF with the Protec helmet and the glasses and the horrible jumpsuit and the huge, goofy grin on your face, and I'm oh like, oh, I felt like the proud parent. I'm like, look, <laughs> there he goes. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh, amazing. Man. What an experience. Well, and you ended up embracing it, and then your wife ended up embracing it, mm -hmm. and then you got her pregnant three fucking times. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a guy to do. Got a good-looking wife. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not faulting you on that side of it. So, but you're a busy boy now. Yeah, there's no doubt. It is work, and then go home and and go to work, or come and talk to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, browbeat you until you come into the the pilot tunnel day, and we're gonna go fly in the tunnel, and then we're yeah, gonna go so I don't a, screw up another pilot. Yeah, jump. we're gonna That's make why. another pilot it's, jump where you don't fucking knock me out of the fucking sky. <laughs> Yeah, you want me to come to the tunnel and practice just self-preservation yeah, reasons. Yeah, so you're not a meat missile that just take blindsides right. me. Yeah, no, I was a wrecking ball on that move. Yeah, it yeah, was uh, sweet though. I believe was Glad it, we uh, it uh, was it Junior that was filming that? 
I think it was Junior that was filming that. A good buddy of mine that's been on a previous podcast, uh, uh, David Junior Ludvik. Go look him up on his uh, Instagram page and all that. Yeah. His shit sucks, but it's, you know, I mean, I, I got to give him a little. He's a pretty good guy, so it he's makes up decent. For it. So he's out there filming this thing. And if you ask him, he was laughing so goddamn hard he could barely frame the video because the tears that were collected. I think you can hear him laughing in the video. You probably can because it was can. fucking hilarious because a bunch of pilots that clearly can't fly. My and, exit was solid. Your ex- well, you left the plane, if that's what you mean by solid. That's where it, that's where it started, yes. I'm going to stick to that. There were elements that were awesome in that jump. Absolutely. The yeah. exit and the landing. And the landing, yeah. Well, you <laughs> fucking took me out in the middle. Yeah. I went, I, it was good. Right where I need. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm loving the sport. Well, and you're new to it too. So, and I I've, am. I've said I'm this... a freshman in the sport. I still have less than 100 jumps. I did look at my logbook, but I'm not revealing the actual number. Um, but I have not been current in a little while. It seems like every time. Shh. Just go jump. Okay. Shh. You're current. You're totally current. I'm going to be totally current when I go back. When, out. Whoever listens to this podcast, you're totally fucking current. <laughs> <laughs> it's not to worry, but every time I should say we find out that we're pregnant again, I get put on restriction. So, and you and she number I three. I understand. When is the when is the due date due date for number three? This summer. I'll leave it vague. Can you not? Can she not be pregnant for a little while? <laughs> yeah, we're, you and it's I were affected. joking about the fact that ninety percent of the time you've known my wife, you she's, think been, she's pregnant. been pregnant. I think that's. Probably close. It to is. Accurate. That's absolutely <laughs> is. Rachel, yeah, I'm sure she's ready as well. We, look, this is uh, this third one is a blessing, and we're excited. But boy, has my workload increased and my uh, sleep no time decreased. I have no doubt. But but <laughs> let's be smart about this. We need to tip our hats and pay homage to the woman that's really doing the hard work. Are you kidding me? Yes. Because Rachel, not only do all you have to, to take care of the kids and all that stuff, you got to put up with this fucking guy. Yeah. No, she is truly a badass. And jumps. Just to be able to put up with me, but you know, she's um, she's just awesome. And um, when we got here, I mean, to jump right into the extreme lifestyle, uh, she had never ridden a dirt bike before and right. like the fourth time she was riding her dirt bike she entered the first ever woman's motocross race <laughs> that's pretty now, awesome. she didn't win but i'm talking like she had been riding her dirt bike for less than a week and she's like yeah i'll do a race why not why not <laughs> hey me? fuck it same attitude with yeah i'll start skydiving and uh yeah i can't wait to jump with her again man. awesome Awesome. But, well, it'll probably be a little while, maybe when the kids are out of diapers. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So what comes next? I mean, uh, uh, you, you started out doing the seaplane thing. You transitioned to the airline stuff. Then then you met me, and I talked you into the dark side to flying yeah. jumpers and jumping out of airplanes. It, uh, this isn't the end-all, be-all for too many people. It is for me. Um, I, yeah. I found my, my love for flying in a very narrow area. I really love what I do. I really love the flying that I do, and I also love that I'm in my own bed. 
every <laughs> night. That I get to fly yeah. planes in in a way that most pilots never will. You know, the airline guys, uh, hats off because they can fly in an airplane in a way that I can't. Right. Um, and yes, I could be trained to do it, but I don't think I'd be good at it. Yeah, but those guys can afford their own planes to go do what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, some of them can for some sure. Some of them can. Some some of them can. Um, no, there's it, certain. I I know. I I understand what you're saying. I think um, there's a there's a huge difference and a huge trade off between um, you know choosing the two different paths within aviation. Sure. And a lot of times uh, within aviation, people just get on the one track, and it's it's the airline track, mm. and and that's the route they go. But there's Aviation is truly diverse. And so many different. I routes. have not been mainstream. You have not been mainstream. Uh, plenty of other people have not, and they've had lucrative careers mm. traveling, seeing the world, flying in beautiful, awesome places, challenging places, and um, you know, I don't know what's what's next for me. Certainly, I preserve the. Uh, uh, the option. Sure, you reserve the right to do uh, yeah, whatever the fuck to you go want. to the airline before sure. I get too old. Fortunately, it's a time, you know, in the industry where I'm, I might still be able to do that. But I'm having a lot of fun with this type of flying. Mm. Um, you know, single pilot, and you are flying the airplane to its limits, and it's, it's a, a lot of responsibility because while we may not take as many people in one flight as somebody does on an airline, over the course of the day, we're flying two to 300 passengers. It's not more. I mean, and we're- And we are always in a critical phase of flight. Well, that's just the thing, and I tried to explain that to a friend as well who said, well, yeah, but the airline guys will have like 400 people on their planes and they gotta fly all the way across the ocean for 14 hours. Big deal. Okay, yeah, abs- absolutely I mean, look, they, they do, earn their but... big money when stuff goes wrong, sure. but things rarely do go sure. wrong, and they're just pushing buttons a lot of times. Yeah, and, and again, uh, all credit to them. It's it's a different kind of flying than what we do, but uh, you, you take the the three or 400 people in a day that will fly, and we're doing that, like you said, in critical phases of flight at all time, mm-hmm. at max performance at all time, and there is no autopilot. There's no button to push. Right. We're doing it by hand, all day, every day, and it's a big fucking deal. I climb out of an airplane out of a after a, a 6 or 7 or 8 hour day of flying and I'm physically exhausted. Mm-hmm. And people say but you just sit down all day. No, no, your brain is switched on. Yeah. Imagine doing And your ears are popping every time you go up, every time you go down. I don't think people really realize the amount of fatigue that just that plays on you oh, by it's the end huge. of the day. Oh, it's huge. Well, and just imagine having to do not intense but relatively complex equations or thought processes <laughs> for eight straight hours. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to explain just how a jump run goes down for somebody the other day, like what, how precise that actually is. Um, and, and again, you know, I don't want to take anything away from airline guys. There was plenty of times when I was jump seating out of St. Croix or St. Thomas on the seaplane and and all the big airline guys that were nice enough to let me sit in their cockpit and pretend I was a real airline pilot and and jump seat. Oh, I used to love that. Were just like, oh my God, what do you do? Oh, I want your job. And at that time I was thinking, I'll trade you. Like, I would love to have your job. But, you know, I've I've seen this side of aviation now through through the seaplane side of things and just the sheer challenge of, Every time you land a seaplane, your runway is changing. You know, the romance of of seaplanes. The whole pilot they are looks the at ultimate. They are the ultimate. You know, SUV. If you think about it, sure. And yeah, pirate looks at forty. You know, 
Oh, it's um, the Jimmy Buffett. Uh, what, what, absolutely, Jimmy Buffett. What's the, what's the, <laughs> and I always forget the name of the damn plane, and you'll know it in a heartbeat, but there's a very famous picture of Jimmy Buffett sitting on the nose of the airplane that's floating. Yeah, the, the Albatross. Fuck. That was his Albatross. Hell. Yeah, you know, he actually got his seaplane rating at Jack Brown's, where I was an instructor. He also got his license, his license yanked, didn't he? <laughs> I don't know about that. Jimmy, I love you. But I do I know love, I, I do know his some of his uh personal pilots and uh that's not an easy gig either. <laughs> that's what I've been told. <laughs> but look, there, like I said there's lots of avenues, right? There's right. lots of avenues in aviation and you could be Jimmy Buffett's pilot when he doesn't want to fly the plane if well, you, really you wanted to. Now, so you've you've hit all these different avenues and you found a little bit of joy mm-hmm. and a little bit of headache in every one of them as we have. I mean, I love being a jump pilot, but there's days that I want to jump through the prop. Uh, same thing as, as when I was in the airline, and I'm yeah. sure the same for you, but uh, you've also found yourself now in a community that is probably tighter, maybe barring the whole seaplane community, um, and even larger. Skydiving is an extremely tight community. Uh, it it's is. It's a big fucking family, and even- It uh, is. And it's, there's no three degrees of separation. It's one degree of separation, if anything. Yeah. Um, and you've been in it long enough now that you've been able to form a an opinion and clearly you're still sticking with it so us skydivers must have held an appeal i mean it's 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 um it is a different type of community uh but for me it's more uh about a different type of lifestyle and and life outside of flying i mean the flying is thrilling and interesting to me and engaging um, but I have a family at home mm. and, you know, a lot of the skydive lifestyle is what goes on at the drop zone and then what goes on after the drop zone's closed, you know, and the party lifestyle. And I didn't come into skydiving through skydiving. Mm. I, I came into it as a pilot and almost immediately as a multiple father pilot. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. that whole aspect, like the social partying aspect has never been a big part of my influence in skydiving. But nonetheless, the community has been so welcoming mm. and reassuring and nurturing of somebody like me that works within the sport, doesn't necessarily socialize within the sport as much, but really wants to learn the sport. Sure, And that's the greatest thing ab- about skydiving is the community is very supportive of wanting to help people progress and to have fun and to enjoy the skydives. You know, some of that, that may be self-preservation. They don't want to absolute what? jackass dro- jumping on their drop zone and potentially taking them out. But, you know, <laughs> there's the, lots the, of those. Yeah, there's plenty of those, I guess. But no, it's an extremely welcoming and nurturing environment. And even with kids sure well like, I, I, and we're all just kids playing around at the drop zone anyway well, the so the funny thing is and, and uh, a lot of my friends in in the sport and would agree that uh you know i've i've kind of grown up in the sport i started late in the sport uh i didn't make my first jump until i was in my mid-20s which is pretty late nowadays uh <laughs> but uh i've matured a lot in earlier sport, than me my friend <laughs> right I've matured in this sport, and so many of my friends have as well. And uh, uh, so the whole party aspect of the skydiving is not even a factor for me anymore. I'll make my appearances, and I certainly enjoy that type of thing still. Uh, but my go- my days of going big are long behind mm. me. Um, and uh, so I, I feel you in the, the, the family aspect of it because I, I definitely pull back from that portion of it as well. But the community of skydiving 
never fades. And yeah. Even that little time you spend on the drop zone on shutdowns when you're getting gas in the airplane and stuff, uh, you can feel it. I mean, you'll spend a, a fuel shutdown, and all you want to do is race to the bathroom because you got to pee so bad you're seeing yellow, and it takes you 10 minutes to get to the bathroom because you've got to greet 150 people <laughs> on the way. And part of it is uh, it's flat out amazing. You're like, wait a second, this is fucking cool. Some of these people only know the back of my head because I'm yeah. sitting in the airplane all the time. No, I had somebody say that just the other day. Like we we sometimes don't know which pilot's flying because we don't see your face, we just see your arm. And I'm yeah. like, well, at least you know which ones of us have muscles. That's it. That's <laughs> it. You know, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, th- those of us that are a little too vain and trying to <laughs> flex on takeoff if there's a cute girl in the back, something like that. You know, the whole which yeah. way is the beach. Yeah, that doesn't bother me so much anymore. <laughs> you know, it actually reminds me of a funny story um, about my my best refusal of a skydive ever, I'm talking about, like, trying to flex for the pretty girls in the back. I had a VIP load one day that uh, happened to be Victoria's Secret models. Mm. And it was like the last load of the day it was everything's done. You know, you've already cranked out a good day's work and they're like, oh, we're going to need you to shut down and wait. We've got a VIP load. And I was like, all right, well, can you, who is it? Um, you'll be happy to know it's Victoria's Secret Models. And I was like, fine, I guess I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'll suffer through that I one. I guess I'll wait. Fuck. And, um. They were not uh, your your top Victoria's Secret models. The ones <laughs> they I'm not were, saying they were unattractive. They're just not the famous ones that you see doing all the stuff. They were know? the second string. Yeah, I think they were the up and comers because they all looked really young. Up it and up, uh, and up and what? Yeah, you heard me. Okay, but there were two guys traveling with them, and uh, one was were they, like, wait, 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 were they Dumb and Dumber oil boys? I wondered. I wasn't sure what was going on at first. I was I was analyzing the dynamic, but. Uh, <laughs> So one of them was uh, this really tall, blonde boy who was super effeminate. And I was like- Yeah, he's gay. Okay. He's yeah. gay. All right, got that, got that. But the other guy was like this short, kind of stocky guy with like an arm tattoo, you know, like a full sleeve or something. And uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of like yours. <laughs> and uh, he had skydivers shaved in his head. What? Like he had his hair, his head shaved with skydivers shaved in his head. Anyways, <laughs> well, that's, it's like a style, right? To shave cool stuff in your head. It is. Well, this guy had a cool haircut, <laughs> but it didn't really suit him. And uh, he gets on the plane with everybody else, and guess who refused? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, man. Oh. He even got passed by one of the girls. He was not supposed to be the last one out of the airplane, but- he was like second to last, so right. one of the last girls like laughed at him as she passed by him and jumped out of the airplane. Awesome. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, out of all the chicks on this plane, yep. you are the biggest puss. I couldn't believe you know, it. I'll tell you what, Scott having uh, solidified in my mind permanent and solid equality between male and female <laughs> so many years ago, it's not even funny. And I, I had a similar refusal, and I was shooting video uh, for a guy out of Cessna uh, 206 at the time in Las Vegas. And he was supposed to be first out of the airplane. I'm his cameraman. His girlfriend is jumping as well. She has not purchased video. Uh, okay. So it's their tandem, my tandem, and me. That's it. 
we get on the jump run, and this guy's or not quite jump run, and we're getting geared up, and the the student has turned around and he scooted up to the front of the airplane, and and uh, um, from pretty much the time he got up onto his knees to start getting hooked up to his, his instructor, he was getting really nervous, and he ended up with a death grip on the the seat of the pilot, so he's got his left arm all the way back, grabbing onto the seat. He's got his right arm clenched onto the the panel of the airplane, and he is freaking the fuck out as he's getting, and he finally decides there's no way I can do this. I can't do it. I I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And myself and the instructor are both trying to talk him into it, but there's no way. Now I'm I'm literally sitting in front of him. His knees are are up against my balls. Yeah. Because uh, I'm supposed to be climbing out first, and he's absolutely not going to do this. So now we've got to do the Cessna shuffle, the dosi do. Well, the girlfriend now has to um, back up all the way into the tail of the airplane. Well, he backs up to get behind the pilot seat so that she can scoot forward and leave the airplane. Yeah. While all this is happening, I'm ballet. telling him, I'm like, dude. I'm going to jump no matter what. I'm not landing in this plane, so I might as well go ahead and shoot video for her. Is that cool? He's like, yeah, whatever. He's freaked the fuck out. And this is not a little petite guy. He's a big, buff, strong fucking guy. It's surprising sometimes. Oh, yeah. And as she scoots forward now, mind you, I'm now out on the step, but I've still got my head kind of in the airplane. I've got my one foot out on the airplane, and as I'm leaning out to get a nice close shot of her as she's scooting by him, she punches him in the fucking chest and goes, fucking pussy, and goes right past him and rolls out of the airplane with me. Oh, that's hilarious. was laughing as hard as Junior, fucking screaming oh, all the way down, just dying. <laughs> That's brutal. And I've got it on somewhere. I've got that shit on oh, video. Man. And you know damn well that relationship. Yeah, didn't, it didn't last. <laughs> no, it didn't survive <laughs> driving down the road away from the fucking drop oh, zone. Man. And that was where I kind of figured it out. And and props to all female skydivers, but all women in general. I. I'm sorry. Women might not necessarily be genetically stronger than men, but they're generally fucking tougher than we are. Uh, yeah, but absolutely. I've, I've watched in a lot more. of ways. In oh, a lot yeah. of ways, I've watched my wife go through now her third pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I yeah, was well, sick. I was sick like last week, and uh, I was a total wuss. Well, so there's no way. Like, it would be like me squeezing no a fucking golf ball out of the tip of my fucking penis. That, nah. <sighs> yeah, you no, just don't want to do that. It's not good for you. No, it's, well, it's because if men no, got it's... pregnant, there would be no human race. <laughs> yeah, it's just that simple. I, I really am convinced women are tougher than men. In I, most, I do have to say, like, I think there's probably been about a 50-50 split on refusals. Most people really go for it, you know? If you come out and you want to try a skydive for whatever reason, yeah, generally people go for it. But I think between the refusals, it might be a 50-50 split. I think I've actually seen more guys than refuse than girls, yeah. but um, obviously- I do like the girls' exits better, though. Ah! Even when they're scared, like I, you can see them kind of get over the fear sometimes, I think they and just, then they just go for it, and, and it's they... like you just- Even with noise-canceling headsets, one of the most rewarding parts of my day- right? is to have a screamer. Oh, yeah. And she's just like in the back door going, ah! Oh, fades fuck, off dude. into I'm nothing. Right You're you. like, that's It's amazing awesome. how far you can hear them. It, oh, it, it really is. is absolutely amazing. Incredible. It's They probably get it at least a few hundred feet away from the airplane. <laughs> Fucking hell, that girl had a set of lungs. I only disagree with you on one point. They don't mm. forget about the fear. They surrender to it, and men don't. Because... Mm. 
People like you and me were raised to be tough asses. All right, you got to be tough. Boys don't cry. Boys don't get scared. We ran around in my day and age with fucking razor blade glasses and no fear t-shirts. You know, so that yeah. was the culture we were raised in. Oh, well, 90s. if there's no such thing as no fear, well, then the guys that were raised that way have no way to cope with it when it actually happens. So when a guy is faced with fear, real fucking fear for the first time, he's got no mechanisms to cope with it. Women, on the other hand, are raised to be... Oh, you need to be scared of this and be careful of that, and and don't go here without friends, and don't go there without somebody to watch out for you. Some girls, and maybe. so yeah, but they were they they were raised to believe that they were more vulnerable than men, and so when a, a man is faced with a vulnerability that he's never had to deal with before, they shit themselves and fucking melt down. Not all of I've them. I've seen it happen, so uh, I'm not going to deny that. It absolutely. But I think this is uh, this is like skydive sociology 101 from oh, a fucking dude. pilot here but you've been in this game for a long, a time. long time well, so long time. you've had plenty of time to think about well, that the tandem instructors and cameramen that have been in the game as long as i have and and the lion's share of my jumps both video and uh, uh tandem are all customer based yeah so yes you absolutely become a fucking psychologist. Yeah, because you, learn... you, well, you want to get them to go. Well, yeah. Well, and you have to learn how to read people on the fly. Yeah. Pun totally intended. Oh, man, you're getting good I'm with good these. good at that, right? You're getting good with these. I only had, out of over 8,000 tandems that I took, I only had one potential refusal or 75. Anyway, a lot of tandems. I hold a lot of meat. I had one guy decide he was going to refuse. <laughs> I and, saw the picture of that right? one woman. You're right. Uh, she's a big girl. Big girl. Yeah, we'll get around to that story someday. Around, but uh, um, we're we're <laughs> exiting out of the the skydive cross keys sky van, and we're over uh, the water because we're doing a boogie over the coast uh, in uh, um, where the fuck were we? Uh, Wildwood, New Jersey. Yeah, so we're doing the Wildwood boogie, and uh, I've got a guy that's probably three inches taller than me. He's like six foot one, and we get about ten paces away, and less than that, maybe five paces away from the exit. Uh, from the door, and he's like, I can't fucking do it. I can't do it. There's no way I can physically overpower this guy. And by this time, I've got thousands of tandems under my belt, and I've never had a refusal. So it's a point of pride for me at this point that no one's ever backed out. I've been able to persuade persuade <laughs> everyone to make that jump. Trip them till they fall out of the airplane. Right. You know, I've been able to, <laughs> and I had a motto, you can say no as, what, as much as you want, but if you're still moving towards the door, we're going for a skydive. Uh, so we get about five paces away from the fucking door and there's no way I can't physically overpower this guy. It's not going to happen. So I tell him, all right, really carefully. I need you to turn around and face the front of the airplane and then we'll walk back. So he slowly starts to turn around and, (laughs) and I stumble the five paces backwards out the fucking tailgate because uh, yeah. I don't care how tall you are, I'm running backwards. A six foot one, six foot two inch guy isn't going to keep me from going right. backwards. Momentum is shifting. Yeah, you know. And so we end up making the skydive and under canopy. Oh my god, that was fucking amazing! It was, but what happened? And I'm like, well, you backed up too far, man. Because <laughs> you can't make them go. You can, no, you, know, you it's can't. And totally what? against the rules. So <laughs> if I was still doing tandems, I'd probably get in trouble for that. But fuck you, because yeah, not. whatever. You know, but but you bring up something that that I actually was talking about earlier with respect to how complicated you can choose to make flying jumpers, mm. and that is that uh, every time a a skydiver or a group of skydivers leaves your airplane, it's it's a CG shift. Sure, it's a the the plane loses weight. You yeah. know, it 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 wants to behave and fly differently. So. 
for people who have you know who are pilots who have never been a jump pilot just imagine every time one person three people an eight way a group of whatever leave the airplane you're trying to fly an ILS to keep it on jump run taking in account drift and you know the wind the wind direction as a headwind and making these semi smart meat bombs land on the drop zone mm. and Every time somebody leaves, it changes for you. So you're adjusting trim, pitch, you know, everything. Yeah. And it becomes a lot of work sometimes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I tried to explain it to a, an airline friend of mine that had never flown jumpers. And I'm like, all right, it's like flying a precision approach, but your plane <laughs> is taking a shit <laughs> while yeah, you're doing it. That's a good way to And explain. you don't know if it's a little but you're turn. Not even a, yeah, you're not in the descent either. No, you're no, trying no, to no. maintain you're, altitude. You're, you're trying to hold straight and level yeah. at a specific airspeed on a specific course for this entire length of time and a little bunny turtle come out and then a fucking camel shit will come out and you have no idea necessarily which one yeah. is coming next it's and sometimes trip. they're fucking clingers and they hang <laughs> on for a while and so not only do you have a shitload of weight hanging on your tail but it's hanging on one side of the tail creating a whole <laughs> right. bunch of extra drag until the hairs finally snap and it goes away come on Dingleberry, get out of here that's that's what flying fucking jumpers is like and so you try to explain that to a pilot that's never experienced it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, look, I, I had a, the guy that gave me my multi-engine rating during my FAA, like hardcore check ride. In the middle of it all, we're having a discussion because we're flying to this next point that we got to go to. And I, he already knew what I did. And I was explaining a little bit here and there. And uh, uh, talking about emergency descents, and we had done the emergency <laughs> descent on the on the check ride, and I kind of giggled. And he's like, "What, what? Are you, what are yeah. you laughing what, at?" And what I'm are you like, laughing at? I'm like, "That's not a fucking emergency descent." Let me uh, show you how you can yeah, really fly it. this plane. He actually stopped mid check ride. Said, "Are so are they flying out there now? <laughs> yeah, they're flying. And you're like the chief pilot. Yeah, could could I come up? And well, if you come up, are you wearing your FAA hat? He's like, no, I'm all. You can come up anytime you want. <laughs> right. And who am I flying with? <laughs> absolutely. And so you know, I was I was privileged enough to be able to take him up after the fact and show him uh, what it was really like. And he was like, wow, what the plane can really okay. do. Okay, this is it's it's really impressive. the The skill set that you learn as a jump pilot is is unique to that or akin to the crop dusting stuff. Sure. Um, where you're you're shifting your CG and the plane doesn't fly like the same plane it was five fucking minutes ago. Mm -hmm. It's a different plane now do that 20 or 30 times yeah. a day over well, and over again and it's it becomes a very exciting and very very challenging way to fly which is why i love it exciting and challenging and i don't know if that's because you're increasing the level of risk or if it's because you are removing the safety margin which you know arguably it's the same thing it but, is yeah but obviously crop dusting you're flying low to the ground there's <laughs> You've got sure. limited time to do the right thing if sure. something doesn't go right. Skydivers in general, if something goes wrong solely with the airplane, we are fairly close to the drop zone and the airport or a landing strip, which yeah. is awesome. But there's obviously the potential when anything is falling out of an airplane <laughs> for it to go wrong. Tons of stuff. And you know, one of the biggest differences I've noticed between airline flying and skydive flying is that People travel for a lot of reasons on the airlines, and they're not all good. Some people are in great moods on vacation, whatever, going mm. to a wedding. Other people are in really lousy moods. 
going from prison to their court date, for instance. Okay, like you got different passengers traveling for different reasons. Yeah, man. And then the biggest difference is that all of my passengers now as a skydive pilot are happy they're to be on happy, the plane. Right? They might be terrified, but they're happy. But they're excited and happy to be on my plane. Yep. And you know what? Even if they're not, I don't have to fly with them, but for half the flight generally. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no, there, there's know, something being- My passengers get out of my airplane, which is a trip. It's oh, just a trip. There's a lot to be said about, oh, that guy was a dick, but he just fell out of my airplane, so I'm all right with the world. Yeah, it's totally. No, no, I, I completely get it. And, and it, but, it, very much the- and I was lucky, and one of the reasons that I I came back to uh, skydiving so easily after leaving what was supposed to be the path that any pilot wants to take was because I knew that I was coming back to an industry and an environment where, for the most part, people are happy. For yeah. the most part, people <laughs> full have of a, life, man. Oh, full. Yeah. How can you not be full of life? Absolutely. And pursue this sport. Absolutely, and and, and the sport and a common goal and a, and a common desire and. A, Yes, people have bad days in skydiving just like everything else. And yes, people have bad days flying jumpers just like anything else. But for me personally, I wouldn't trade it for the world. No, uh, I mean, there's good and there's bad, right? I mean, you've been in sport a long time. So pet peeve, like what's your number one pet peeve about stupid skydivers? Do I have to pick just one? You can start with one. Uh, I'm curious, generally. All right, so my number one pet peeve is a huge safety issue, and that is just cracking the door on the climb, yeah. maybe like three or four inches, mm. uh, and then just enough, and and then having someone sit down, pilot shoot towards the door right next to that door that's cracked three or four inches. Now you may or may not have seen the pictures out there of the caravan that had a jumper who had the pilot shoot go out the door. It the canopy deployed, and the jumper left a. A, a gaping, I don't even know how to describe it. He tried to rip another door next to the he, yeah, correct he, door he, he, in he the aircraft with his body. Yeah, he basically physically put a fucking three-foot dent into the side of this plane and ripped the door jam out of this, this caravan. And so... That particularly for me really bothers me because people say, oh, what, it's never going to happen. The pilot shoot's not going to come out. Well, you know something? Yeah. A one never in a, say never, and well, it better not happen on my airplane. Well, and for me, it's a one in a million chance is too much risk yeah. when it comes to that uh, portion of it. Because yeah. this is the part of skydiving that's supposed to be the one that we can control the most. I agree. Skydiving you know, is generally extremely safe. It they is. call it an extreme sport. It's an extremely safe sport because in general people that participate in this sport have their heads screwed on of and course. are paying attention because yeah there there is a risk to it you have sure. you have to respect that well and it's also one of the reasons that and in any longtime skydivers will know this from experience there's a spike in skydiving business every every time somebody dies in mm-hmm. skydiving why because oh my god is it still extreme is it still dangerous because we would go ridiculous lengths of time without anything really bad happening in a skydive. And then as soon as you would have a a major skydiving incident uh, at your drop zone or a nearby drop zone, you would see a spike in business because people would think that it was dangerous again. Which That's shows unbelievable. To, that shows to the nature of human beings. It does, doesn't that it? That also shows to the crazy- There's an attraction to the danger, to the dark side, man, well, like it you also, said. It's the crazy safety that skydiving has. You know, I mean, it, it really is quite safe, and, and uh, uh, I, I can't speak to it more. So you got little things like that that anytime it lowers the safety, those are the things mm. that bother me. You no, know it bothers but, me? What's that? Farts. Oh, I love 
farting in the plane. Oh, that's because your farts really stink, man. And you can actually fire back. But what, what my biggest pet peeve, not oh. safety concern. Cause I'm with you with that door thing. I had a window blow out on one of my planes and it was actually just a sliver of a window and it hit my tail and it sliced the tail open. I can only imagine what a person an open canopy everybody and a dies. jump door. No, would everybody, do. dies. Yeah, everybody dies. I, I want to go home at the end of my day. I have plans with my family. Like don't, if it's a safety issue, like the door, you're stupid. You shouldn't be on my sure, plane. Sure, But farts, man. I like love, they really. I love farts. Now I've said it, and now I'm afraid that I've said it because if anybody listens to this, they're they going to fly with me. Plane. They're not even going to try to hold it anymore. So look, look, guys, I'm going to give but, you a for anybody that ever flies with with Eric von Kennel. Also, stop, stop talking. talking. Wait, no, no, stop shush. talking. This is my podcast. I will mute your mic. There is this recipe, and it only works for me. No, 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 Wait, no, no. Uh, no. Uh, uh, okay, I just muted his mic so he can't talk. Is it a, is it a veggie samosa? Don't do it. So you, you damn you, Ty. You go out and you have an amazing steak with all the trimmings, onions, the whole nine yards, just everything loaded up, big fucking steak, the mushrooms, all that. That's not enough though. So you have to have that late with a couple of glasses of wine, and then when you wake up in the morning, have a full breakfast. But on your way to the drop zone, you need to eat an entire loaf of cinnamon raisin bread. I don't know if it's the yeast. <laughs> I don't know if it's the raisins. On that note, I've got a sh- couple of shifts I'd like to trade yeah, with you on I, the spot. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the raisins, but I actually, from the cockpit, made a little Japanese man sitting next to the door vomit so hard oh. that he filled up a Safeway freezer bag. Oh, no. That's a whole other story, though. And oh. on that light note, I want you to give me <laughs> the last thoughts, um, tips to pilots, tips to skydivers, um, how are we going to wrap this up? What, what what do you want people to know about uh, flying for the airlines, about flying for skydivers, just about uh, about the aviation in general, about the sport that you found yourself in? Wow. That's like, hey, let's just recap everything. Um, <laughs> no, man. If, if you want to, if you have any desire to be a pilot, don't hesitate. Like the market is different now. The industry's changed. You can find people that will, will sponsor you and pay for you to get all the way into that seat. Um, but more than anything, that was just a passion that I found as I grew. Uh, it was never one particular thing. It just kind of happened. And if you experience life and pay attention to the signs, sometimes things just point you in the direction that your life is supposed to go. And for me, it brought me to aviation and aviation, you know, helped create our friendship mm. and brought me to this sport. And I, I love flying. I love jumping. Uh, and I work with an incredible group of people, uh, both in aviation and at the drop zones sure, that I are agree. super passionate about what they love. And I think, you know, whether it's skydiving, which I would recommend everybody try if you haven't, mm. just go for a tandem sometime. Yeah. It's not for everybody, but it might be for you and you won't regret it. Just follow your passion and see where, where it leads you. It's a good time for aviation. It's always a great time to be a skydiver. And mm. uh, Indeed. I- I wouldn't change a thing right now. Awesome. Well, you know, and at the end of the day, that's really all you can ask for is that you've 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 found something that even if it's just for now, is a passion that you've enjoyed. And obviously, flying is something that you're going to have uh, till the very end. It's the same with me uh, and skydiving as well. Once a skydiver, always a skydiver. I say, yeah. if you, if you make it through your course and and you make it through your first uh, scary experience, you're a skydiver for life. Uh, it's it, it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah, dude. And absolute pleasure having you back in the back in the can 
Thanks, brother. Uh, shooting the shit uh, after all the times we've flown around the Caribbean and, and all over the place. It's yeah. been fantastic. I don't know how long we've been talking, but I feel like we could just keep on talking. Oh, for we could. Hours. We could. It's crazy. So we could. People could turn this pod. This, well, they could actually set it down while running, go to sleep, have a full well, night's sleep, wake up, and we would still be going. It's not like we haven't had that complaint when flying together either. Yeah. So. <laughs> but that's actually, I, I kind of go out of my way for that. Yeah. Plenty of people on the ground are. Yeah, sorry, entertained, manifest. but also sorry, sad manifest. When they sorry, see ground. The two of us on the schedule together. Yeah, yeah. So. Ooh, sorry, guys. Yeah. Right, well, once again, guys, uh, this was another fantastic edition of the Lunatic Fringe. Uh, I've had in the can Mr. Eric Von Kennel slash Volcano slash Papa Bear, uh, <laughs> who has had some uh, amazing experiences. Slash insomniac, and, right? Slash, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, taking a definitely a different route than me, but ended up in the same place, uh, and, and it's been yeah, pretty thank cool. God. Now, uh, for those of you that want to find out a little bit more, you can go to Blue Skies Magazine. Blue Skies Magazine uh, is who I've been writing for for a very long time. BlueSkiesMagazine.com is a great place to go. Uh, uh, subscribe to the magazine. You can get uh, um, previously published uh, issues. You can get all kinds of really cool swag. You can find me on Facebook at TheEffinPilot.com. It's the fucking pilot, but go figure. Facebook doesn't like you say fucking too much. So E-F-F-I-N-Pilot.com. I am the princess pilot on Instagram. Because fuck them, they're the same goddamn way. I can't say that shit. So uh, it's the princesspilot.com. And thankfully, ah, the fucking pilot.net. Yes, the fucking pilot.net, where you can find this uh, platform, uh, whether it be iTunes, Castbox, uh, Podbean, or any others, to download this or all the other awesome podcasts that I've had. Man, again, you're a busy guy. Yeah, man, busy guy. <laughs> So again, thank you so much for joining. This has been uh, yet another edition of the Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with the fucking pilot. See ya. We'll see ya.